some folks are choosing with the hashtag buy Spotify or cancel Spotify or just leaving. They're stopping their subscriptions to the service. Um, I, of course, never had a subscription. I would just listen to the Home Depot ads during sex. And that's, you know, then you're like, babe, this is why I need you. room hello everybody welcome 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 to another sunday evening uh and yeah there is no more day of rest in this house in this house we believe in working seven days a week and ignoring the exciting football game that hath presented thine self before oneself i never took Shakespeare or whatever. Um, welcome everybody uh, to another episode. It's going to be so good, guys, because, you know, we might not have a lot of football, but we do have John Iderola of The Damage Report. So, you know, it's going to be a good show. Um, we also have congressional candidate Daniel Wayne Lee, who is currently the mayor of Culver City. Very exciting to hear about his race and his run. Uh, filling the seat of Karen Bass, who is currently running for L.A. mayor. Um, we'll talk about all that. We're also going to talk a little bit about um, the Spotify kerfuffle, the uh, the Rogan sitch. Um, no criticisms of that fine man. Please have me on your show. Oh, my God. Everyone's being so unfair to you. Book me. Book me. I need the followers. I need... No, uh, I do not, actually. In fact, I have a lot to bitch about. Uh, we are also going to be doing... be doing a bonus bish, which is for all the patrons. Again, uh, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash room. And not only are you just treated to a smorgasbord or a smorgasbord of... 20% off all merch of free merchandise every three months if you are a, a patron at 20 bucks or more. But every single week, you get access to 10 to 15 more minutes of bonus content. And today, uh, we're going to look at, you know, the latest addition to the Herman Cain Awards, of course, this time, a state trooper who uh, told off Jay Inslee, Governor Jay Inslee of Washington, and uh-oh, SpaghettiOs, um... So John and I will be breaking down that story in the bonus. So please become a patron. Whatever you can give is amazing. You can become a patron at two bucks. Swear to God, it can happen. You just go in and you just lower. I mean, I would say higher raise, but you could even you two bucks a month, y'all. That's it. Um, so super pumped about that. But before we get into this, if you are watching on YouTube, make sure you're liking the like button. With all of the clickety clicks, make sure you are sharing right now so people know what the hell you're watching. Like you don't, you don't watch the opium of the masses, as Chomsky once called sports, but Karl Marx called religion. The point is, you're watching the habituation room right now, and you can also ring the bell so you won't miss when we're going live. Uh, if you're on Twitch, what up? Thank you for being here, and uh, if you're listening as a podcast. 
Give this podcast five stars right now. Write a few things. Palm that keyboard. You know, just just some heart emojis. It doesn't matter, baby. Remember, this podcast is people-powered, all right? We don't have any benefactors. I don't have a Miss Havish ham. But if I did, it would be an actual pig. And it'd be really cute. And her nails would be painted. And she would wear a bonnet. And she'd be like, I love what you're doing with the podcast. I am a loyal friend, Tifa. I don't know. She speaks like that. And just. (laughs) That's how pigs speak. (sighs) This was getting weird already. (laughs) And. Remember, guys, March 10th, which is a Thursday in Brooklyn, New York, which is a city in New York, um, also known as a borough, also, uh, you know, where we don't sleep till we get there or something. It's the Bituation Room Live, y'all, with council member Tiffany Caban, Sam Cedar, and, of course, comedian Matt Lieb. It's going to be so good. Uh, we got... We got virtual tickets. Once again, if you're a patron, you get that virtual ticket for free, meaning you watch in the comfort of your home, you laugh along with, you hang, you eat your fudge sickles or whatever you're doing. I don't know. It feels very 80s today. So I'm fudge sickles or what's on the brain. Bengals won. I'm not talking about football anymore. Get your tickets, guys. Um, there will be a link down below. And if there's not, can someone put a link down below? Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, get your tickets. There's also VIP tickets to come hang with me for a little bit afterwards. But let's get into this here thing, y'all. What are you bitching about today? So we will discuss this in a little bit uh, when we talk about Spotify. But I just want to blanket discuss the idea that deplatforming someone or um, removing them right from a uh, Twitter or Facebook or um, YouTube or Spotify, (laughs) uh, that that somehow is stopping free speech. I take issue with that. And especially people who are supposedly on the left or are progressive and think that that is a way to stop free speech. And, and not just because these are private corporations, um, who can do whatever they want with their own platforms. Um, That's a piece of it. But also because it's often, let's be real, nine times out of 10, the people who are like, that's not, that's squelching free speech. Like they're all, for the most part, straight white men with a fair amount of economic power. Just going to put that out there. Um, But secondly, they also presume, like I think a lot of libertarians presume that free speech right now is equal. That all free, all speech is equal. That my speech is no different than, uh, you know, than Candace Owens' speech. It's the same exact speech. We have the same exact reach and following, and that is bullshit, right? Because it misunderstands two things. One, there is deep inequity when it comes to speech and who is speaking, who has a platform, when and why, who gets lifted up and when and why. Um, And that that is not already based on systems of oppression. And I would definitely argue that, for example, someone like Candace Owens gets platformed because she is a black woman who is basically grifting off of throwing every other black woman under the bus and the entire black community, women, etc. So, like, that's the specific reason. But it also assumes that the platforms we have are like neutral, that, oh my God, everyone's equal on Twitter. Didn't you know that? It's a pure democracy. No, 
We know whose voices get silenced. We know whose voices get lifted up. They are, again, a replication of systemic inequities in other spaces, in real life, uh, IRL. Um, so if you think that the platforms that exist aren't already skewed in favor of the most bigoted, anti-science, outlandish, conspiracy theorist-laden crap, you're insane. These companies are making bank. So when they are finally pulling the plug on some folks, when they kick Trump offline, it's when Jack no longer needed Trump because he got everything he could get out of him and he was no longer going to be president, right? It's like the Catholic Church being like, you know, I think we should probably reprimand some cardinals for the whole pedophilia thing. That's how you know it's way more of a problem. You know, when they start to crack down a little bit. So I would say that these companies, they not only are private companies, but they also are companies that have been making hand over fist money on this kind of BS. And so, yes, I believe in deplatforming. But more than that, deplatforming is simply a way for these corporations, I think, to save their asses in a lot of ways. For me, what we should be arguing for on the left is actually regulating and breaking up big tech. Why? Well, first of all, it's more capitalist if you actually believe in fair competition. But second of all, we know that fake news spreads 10 times, not just 10 times, 1,500 times faster than real news. So that these pl the, these platforms, fake news spreads like wildfire. False, um, false information spreads like wildfire. What happens when you break it up? Well, you contain the fires, right? There are fewer and fewer... Um, you can't poison the entire well with one die cast, so to speak. You have less profiteering off of that hate speech, off of the misinformation, and you have uh, a less concentrated amount of that information. Um, that's what we should be arguing for always. And yeah, am I afraid that if Trump got reelected and he like wanted to, you know, make everything whatever, one giant government run social media platform? That is scary. But at the same time, the idea is to build in checks and balances, right? This would be a, uh, you know, a body that would withstand, like it, they wouldn't be appointed by the president, right? Congressional oversight, et cetera. That's what we mean when we say break up big tech. That's what we mean when, when we say regulate so people can stop making money and then deciding when they want to cut their boy loose because they're tired of making money from Ben Shapiro. It might happen. We might say one thing too too many. Well, you know, you can be anti-trans up to a point, and then we're like, oh, we're a little tired of you being anti-trans, even though you do it all the time, and we love it, and we make tons of money off of it. So I just want to, that's what I mean. Don't give me your free speech BS. The entire system needs to be overhauled, and that's what we should be fighting for, and that relates to some Spotify stuff we're going to get to a little bit later. But before we do, I'm going to bring in my guest for the week. For the entire week, I will keep him here for the week. He is the host of the weekly show on TYT, The Damage Report. Please welcome Mr. John Idarola. Hello. It's a pleasure to be on your show once again. Wow, you're so subdued, John. I'm trying. Well, I figured it's only going to devolve from here, so we should start off at, like, I don't know, vaguely NPR level. <laughs> but anyway, uh, very Hello. glad to be here. Um, and uh, you cannot contain me. I won't stay for a full week. In fact, I'm going to flip the script, and you're going to be on my show tomorrow. I know. So. I know. It's very exciting. Uh, you know, shoe on the other foot here, though. Um, so it's my turn. 
Now I get to read all of my comments, even though half the comments are like, I'm here for John. (laughs) Nice. Well, that's what I experience on my show every single day. Like, hey, Nita's great. John's fine. Whatever. (laughs) Francesca's great. Brett's the best. John, eh, don't really care. (laughs) John Idarola, what are you bitching about this uh, Sunday Eve? Uh, can I add one comment to buttress part of your point yes. about what you were bitching yes. about? And it is, um, you know, we should not expect that people will be consistent just because they have a a, a thing that they make their entire career doesn't mean that they're going to be serious about it, act in good faith. Um, and actually, it's like the, you know, the, the QAnon people uh, with Jeffrey Epstein, they don't, they don't care. It's like they talk all day long about the fact that there's this elite network of pedophiles. And when one is actually revealed, they're suddenly not interested anymore. Right. Um, and that Trump so, was BFFs with him and et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Or Bill Clinton. Hey, both. Sure. Attack both, honestly. Um, you think there's a swamp? Evidently there was, but it doesn't seem to bother you. For free speech, it's the same thing. It's there are these people, you know, whether it's the intellectual dark web or Glenn Greenwald or whatever that like will say day after day, I'm against censorship. Yep. Like what you're trying to do with Spotify. And then in his case, like, like people like Dave Rubin, I'm not even going to like pretend that he's going to be consistent and actually call out actual censorship. But um, in his most recent uh, Substack or whatever, oh, God. Glenn, Glenn Greenwald said, um, liberals often point to the growing fights over public school curricula and particularly the conservative campaign to exclude so-called critical race theory from the public schools as proof that the American right is also a pro-censorship faction. That is a poor example. Censorship <laughs> is about what adults can hear, not what children are taught in public schools. So if a private company decides we don't want our brand to be damaged by having this person who is breaking our long published public terms of service, that is censorship. If a lib liked that they did that, but if a political party literally bans people from understanding history, those are just kids. Kids don't have rights or whatever. It's amazing that I used to think he was smart because like I would think I mean, and maybe I wouldn't be good at being a right-wing grifter. I know I wouldn't. You know, I would look terrible as a blonde. But, you know, I'd like to think I would have smarter arguments. But he really just, like, reveals himself when it's like, well, it's not the same because kids are different. And you're like, it's just not a good point. That is a terrible point. What do you mean? Like, in what? (laughs) This is, is like, an after a week where, first of all, Holocaust Remembrance Week and... Uh, the comic book Mouse, which discusses the Holocaust, is yeah. prohibited and banned in schools. Like, are you kidding? Yeah, but that's no, no, no. But that's not a good example because uh, censorship isn't of cartoons. <laughs> I don't know exactly. It doesn't. Apply. Is that good enough? Yeah. Can I get a Substack now? No. Anyway, um, what are you yes, actually, actually bitching about, though? John? What I am bitching about is actually largely related to this. It's something I talk about quite frequently and uh, think about even more. And the reason I'm going to be bitching about this, and really wine bitching, it's a combination of the two, is because wine bitching like year, you're drunk or like whiny? Both, actually. Nice. Um, mostly the whiny, though. Uh, so this year is going to be horrible politically. I have basically no expectations for the Democrats accomplishing pretty much anything. And I think that uh, through the horrible waste of a presidential term, um, even some good progressives' chances of winning races, people who are not, I don't think, uh, ideologically all that affiliated with Biden, might be caught in the political crossfire. So this is just going to be a terrible year Jesus. politically. So a lot of what can be done is going to once again move to 
trying to rally people to our side, persuade them, all of that, whether it's, you know, a regular person canvassing, whatever, or us doing our show. And so I want to once again bitch about the asymmetric battlefield that that will be waged on and identify for people who might not be as obsessed with their own job as I am about how many additional obstacles there are to people like you or me trying to do this that are not there and the advantages that the right has. So there are so many reasons, I'm not going to go into all of them, of why it is so much better to be a right winger. And that is why so many people that used to be on the left um, now are doing the right wing thing. The biggest point is that the money will always be there. Yeah. Um, and that is why so many of the most popular people on the right seem suspiciously lacking in talent or intelligence, wit, mm. humor, charisma, almost anything. Um, their careers are made. They're they're plucked from irrelevance. They're given massive advertising budgets and studios and all that. Yeah. And they might eventually get some people to follow them for reasons I'll get to in a second, but they're lifted up to defend accumulated wealth. Um, now, the reason they are able to eventually accumulate a little bit of an audience is that emotionally, their job is a lot easier. They can play to the worst instincts, the most base, primal in many cases, self-destructive, but definitely externally destructive uh, emotions. It's easy to create content to just get people to experience fear and jealousy, rage and hatred. Also to tear um, down, right? Like, you know, you, you don't ever have to lift up any activism, any work. So whether it's left or right, you're just constantly focused. Even you're like, you're super cynical about politics and yet you do make time to actually platform good stuff and like talk to climate change organizers, you know, and things like that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Keep, keep well, yeah, they, they, they don't have to do that. The, one of the most important things though, is that there is virtually no right. First of all, right wing media being independent mainstream, it is a false dichotomy. It's the same exact thing. Um, that is why every single right wing independent person gets brought onto Fox news and OAN and Newsmax. They want to lift these people up because they're defending the same people. But the biggest issue is that they do not, that all of their political news, their political content, political talk shows, political podcasts have virtually nothing to do with substantive politics. You do not need to make sure that the people listening to you have any idea what is actually going on mm-hmm. because all of it is a massive distraction racket. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of centrist media that does the same thing to Democrats and for the same reason, but it's the entirety of the right. Whereas we need to convince people not just to waste their time, to be busy with anger and all these negative emotions, but to get out there and overwhelm so much money and entrenched power. It is So I'm not going to go any more in depth. I've whined enough probably, but um, yeah, there's just so many more obstacles that we have to face. And uh, I'm sick of it. I don't like Well, it. I mean, I also think that, that that's what leads to people taking the sort of facile grift out, you know, way out. So it's like making really facile, easy arguments, just hitting at centrist Democrats, becoming kind of a tool. I'm talking about leftists becoming kind of a tool for the far right anyway, by simply hitting at Democrats and not understanding that there are gradations of elites, as my, you know, political mentor always says. It's about creating these fractures and fissures within the political class. And that that matters. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they can afford to co-opt our people. And, and and you're rightfully pointing out people who just make it about the centrist Democrats. I would say that, that there's at least some value to that. But the people who then just make it about the left, it's like yep. formerly left people bartering the remaining credibility that they have 
to get money by taking down what there is to the left. Their side has the money to do yes. that, like special forces tactic. We don't. We don't have that. We're not taking the neo Nazis and then turning them against fascists or anything like that. Who has the budget for it? <laughs> the Frantifa, baby. Become a mm-hmm. patron. Patreon.com slash bituation room, everybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that, John. Uh, we got to get into this week, uh, although we could talk about that for a long time. Um, lots, uh, lots and lots of things happen. In a hot mic moment, Joe Biden called Fox's Peter Ducey a stupid son of a bitch. And Fox News then gathered a panel of stupid sons of bitches to personally condemn the remarks. <laughs> Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer retires at the young age of 83. Meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi did not take the hint, announcing she's seeking re-election for her 798th term or about there. Pennsylvania has struck down the state's mail-in voting system, saying there must be a constitutional amendment to make it legal and that uh, Quaker William Penn must be exhumed and consulted before democracy is allowed to finally proceed. Uh, He's got to learn. He has to know how to mail a ballot. The corpse of William Penn (laughs) must be taught how to mail a ballot on his own and then it's all good Uh, a federal judge canceled 80 million acres of oil and gas drilling in the gulf coast which is great but it also means in order to appease joe manchin uh biden will begin drilling probably in yosemite or or in the white house who knows uh and finally the right is mad about Minnie Mouse wearing a jumpsuit but on the bright side ivanka has gained a fashion icon for when she heads to prison for everything else this is the week where All right, so this was the week where Joe Rogan continued to platform far uh, the far right by welcoming Mr. Meat Sweats, Jordan Peterson, the guy who puts the psycho in psychologist and has gained fame for being an anti-feminist, anti-trans, anti-PC. Racism was invented by cultural Marxist pseudo-intellectual. Uh, they broke down pretty hard about a number of things like race and climate change, real Real tough stuff. Real interesting things. Here, here are their thoughts. Um, just deep thoughts about race, oppression. What did Michael Prejudice. Eric Dyson call you? Uh, and mean, mean, angry and white mean, man. Yeah, and and a mean, angry white man. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah, yeah. You're not mean at all. Yeah, yeah. That's what's dumb about that statement. It's you're not mean at all. It's I uh, am white. Actually, that's a lie too. <laughs> I'm kind of tan, and he was actually not black. If you're tan, he was what sort the fuck of brown. Am I? Because I'm I'm darker than you. Yeah, yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, but neither of us are white. Well, I'm Italian. And mostly. he was brown, not black. Well, isn't that weird? Yeah, this, it's the, really the weird. Black and white thing is so strange yeah, because like the shades are tan so, and brown. There's such a spectrum of shades of people. Unless you're talking to someone who is like 100% African from the darkest place where they're not wearing any clothes all day and they've developed all that melanin to protect themselves from the sun. You know, it, even the term black is weird. It's a, mm. it's a, and when you l- use it for people that are literally my color, it becomes very strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. This is true. Mm, deep thoughts on race brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hey, you need a new podcast producer, ZipRecruiter.com for all of your needs. It can be tough sifting through all the CVs. You don't even know what race they are. <laughs> what, what shade are they? You don't know which CVs to throw out and which ones to continue reading. Uh, 
I mean, John. Yeah. This is not the first time the two of them have spoken. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I should hope not, considering the content. Usually, people with those views on race sort of have to feel each other out at first, <laughs> and then realize if you're one of the cool ones. I think they've spoken before. I love two white guys uh, doing racial purity tests on black people. Never seen that before. I mean, where have we seen that before ever? It's it. You you already you you have so. I understand they have to fill a lot of time. I think his show is what like he does like six weeks a day i think um he does a lot of talking so you have to fill a lot of time but you were already going to deny climate change can't you just make it about that (laughs) his point about like we're using the term black to apply to people with my skin tone okay because it is not just holding up like a a color swatch palette to people Mm -hmm. yeah it is yes it is a social construct but it has economic ramifications, social, political, all of those ramifications that you have. Like, it's not like you've been a help along the way <laughs> in, in breaking down all of these things for you to then come in at the end and, and point out, well, it's dumb. That guy doesn't look dark enough for me to be satisfied with him being black. How is this helpful and why is this so popular? Yeah, absolutely. And like, why don't you have Michael Eric Dyson on? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe he will in the end. He should. Michael Eric Dyson did respond, but um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. But, by the way, if, if I could just throw in, uh, Jordan Peterson also is a great example of what I was bitching about. That sort of like pseudo academic is always, he's always going to do well because first of all, he's selling like a really cheap sort of victim complex to young men who don't know what to make of their lives. It's much easier to just blame women for why you don't have a relationship or whatever. Um, and also, and some folks are choosing with the hashtag buy Spotify or cancel Spotify or just leaving. They're stopping their subscriptions to the service. Um, I, of course, never had a subscription. I would just listen to the Home Depot ads during sex. And that's, you know, then you're like, babe, this is why I need you. So the money is always going to be there. There's going to be right wing organizations that will give you college speaking tours uh, your his books probably have some fans now, but he will never have something that's not a bestseller because think tanks will always be there to buy up tens of thousands of copies that no one will read. That's how virtually every right wing bestseller ever has been made, and so it's it is a great gr- get grift for them uh, to get involved. They continued. There's just one other clip we have to watch about um, deep thoughts brought to you by Squarespace on climate change. It's a, a gross exaggeration, and the reality is, you know, the world sort of always goes through these cycles of change, but human beings are definitely having an effect on it, but a small effect compared to cows and other other things. It's like it's hard to sort out. The climate change one is a weird one. So that well, one that's because there's no such thing as climate, right? Climate and everything are the same word, and I that's what bothers me about the climate change t- Climate is everywhere and nowhere. It is nothingness. It's that's very zen of Jordan Peterson. It is non-attachment. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's a great definition um, that he just made up and no climate scientist would ever use. <laughs> so you make up, it's it's this weird scientific straw man where I'm going to define what your job is, which it isn't, and then I'm going to attack it <laughs> and seem clever by comparison. Although, honestly, um, I'm so glad that your team cut the video the way you did because we talked about that on my show, but we started like six seconds later. Yes. And I felt afterward, like I was maybe a little bit too hard on Joe Rogan. Um, but his comment there that I hadn't heard was that we have a small effect in comparison to the cows. Yeah. You know, like other people like cows and mm-hmm. oil rigs. Um, it's mostly oil rigs. God, those oil rigs, they're just mm-hmm. farting up a storm. You know, when, when an oil rig farts, um, it releases a, a methane gas that you have no Like he is in the year 2022 going Huh. Some people say it's it's cyclical. Other people, as in ninety nine point nine percent of climate scientists, say that the globe is heating up and we only have twenty years left to rein. No, excuse me, eight years left to rein it in. But who's yeah. to say? It's 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 just amazing. Look, honestly, like saying it's um you know it's solar flares or something yeah. that at least has the veneer of being based in science. Saying it's the cow's fault, as if there would be seven cows on Earth if not for humans. It's like, let's just blame it on the Toyotas. Not the drivers. The cars themselves are to blame. He said that, and then they just moved on as if it wasn't the craziest thing that's been said on Earth this week. You know, cows, they choose to live in those feedlots. No, no, no. Trust me. You can look this up. Look, Look it up. They like living in tight quarters. Um, they enjoy being eaten. Look, I would never eat a cow. We're not that the cows wish. <laughs> okay. oh, All right. We got to move to a different angle on this real quick. Um, not real quick because there's a lot to say. Um, but this was also the week where citing lies the podcaster Joe Rogan spread about COVID. Artists like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell pulled their music from Spotify in protest, which it's fine for their fan base because they still don't know what a podcast is. So like, <laughs> cool. Um, this was days after scientists and physicians published an open letter to Spotify calling them, calling on them to no, not cancel Rogan, not deplatform him. These uh, nurses, doctors, scientists, and educators called on Spotify to immediately establish a clear and public policy to moderate misinformation. That's it. They're not asking anyone to cancel Spotify. They're not asking anyone to leave Spotify. They're just saying, hey, could you make it clear what your standard is on your platform? Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. And that seems fair. That seems fair. I mean, they gave them $100 million to come over. Like, I feel like you should be able to have some sort of influence, uh, especially when, like like I've said on my show, no no serious person can doubt that even the sort of, like, it's not like Rogan's anti-vaccine stuff is necessarily as bad as some of the crazy stuff on the right or even Fox News. I don't think that it is, but it is still bad. And he is still largely uh, advocated for an increasingly smaller group of people to get vaccinated. That has consequences. I don't think any serious person can doubt that whether we're able to point to a particular casket and say that person died because they listened to Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. There are some people who died because they listened to Joe Rogan. Yeah. And um, I, I, look, I don't, I don't want him to be banned or whatever. I just wish that he would take his position a little bit more seriously or 
that the audience would care that he doesn't. Yep. I wish that there was a social answer to this. Yeah, I know. I, I always think, because I know there are a lot of people who did used to uh, listen to Rogan more. And as he kind of fell off, and they listened to him for like the good interviews, interesting folks, celebs, and not really for him. But as he started to like, you know, platform Gavin McInnes for like the third time and started to say more ridiculous things, you know, they fell off. And I, I'm like, why aren't there more like, I used to listen to Rogan's. And then I'm just like, oh yeah, because... The more you listen, I think the more you're just in it. You know what I mean? You you fall down that that well, the rabbit hole. Um, and I do think there's a fair amount of I used to listen to Rogan's and that's fine. And I, I would beg to differ. Like, I don't listen. But even the people who critique now have listened to Rogan. They know what he's saying. They know that he's fallen off and that he's gone far to the right. Um, a little bit more on this. You know, John was saying he's not the worst. But this open letter did, you know, at least... Um, specify. So they said Joe Rogan has repeatedly spread misleading and false claims on his podcast, provoking distrust in science and medicine, discouraged the vaccine in young people and children, incorrectly claimed that mRNA vaccines are gene therapy, promoted off-label use of ivermectin to treat COVID. Um, he, you know, hosted Robert Malone, who was suspended from Twitter for spreading misinformation about COVID-19. Um, you know, on and on and on. Malone is one of two recent Joe Rogan experience guests who compared the pandemic to policies during the Holocaust. So it's not nothing. Um, and some folks are choosing with the hashtag buy Spotify or cancel Spotify or just leaving. They're stopping their subscriptions to the service. Um, I, of course, never had a subscription. I would just listen to the Home Depot ads during sex and that's, you know, then you're like, babe, this is why I need you. You got, you got to give me that glow up. Give me the, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, to be real, I used to listen to Spotify and I got so mad at the commercials that instead of buying it, I just bought Apple instead. I was like, I'm <laughs> mad at you and I'm punishing you by buying you. Um, but so now it has had somewhat of an effect. So Spotify shares dropped by 12% after Neil Young demanded his songs be removed from the platform and a, a number of people have jumped ship. But then there's a lot, a lot of folks, you know, including, you know, folks like Ryan Grimm, even obviously Matt Taibbi, but that dude's long been gone. But even like Edward Snowden, who is someone I do respect, who has been like, you know, this is ridiculous. We shouldn't ask for anyone to cancel Spotify. You know, Ryan Grimm said something like, ever since Rogan endorsed Bernie, the right has spent two years trying to court him and the left has spent two years trying to drive him to the right. Ace work, folks. And this tweet, I think, is a miss Ugh. to me. Like, I like Ryan a lot. I think he does great work. Me too. Me and too. so this, to me, though, ain't it. Like, this this ain't it, sis. I, like, really want to tweet that at him. But, like, you cannot blame the left Whatever the hell you think that is, as John and I just established, we are weak. <laughs> you know, we, like there is no consortium. There's no like grand movement making demands on the Joe Rogan podcast. But like mm -hmm. the guy is moved to the right because he's wanted to move to the right. And he no matter yep. what, he's anti-establishment. So there's no world in where you which you could get like, let's say, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, you know, a Muslim squad member to go on the Rogan show. Like she would, but I don't think he'd ever let her because it's not anti-establishment enough. Yeah. Yeah. Or, well, I, I mean, establishment can mean a lot of different things, I think. And we might be lumping like 
he is anti-establishment in some respects. He also has literally hundreds of millions of dollars and will do whatever is necessary to never be poor again. So let's bear that in mind. I, I think that he is a generally conservative guy who cares about some things, but largely doesn't have the sort of base value system that we do. He might occasionally agree with us on some policy. Like I, I anecdotally believe that he's for Medicare for all. Um, that's an area where I guess he's anti-establishment, but, but he also, he likes hanging out with right wingers. You don't, you don't casually hang out with Alex Jones and just, well, Talk we'll, about we'll just have to 6th. agree to disagree about politics. Like, no, yeah. he is a generally conservative guy that has some... Look, some regular Republican conservatives believe in Medicare for All, too. That doesn't make him a lefty. And the left expressing disappointment with his transphobia or his uh, you know, willingness to, to tolerate climate denial in his show... That's not driving him to the right. That's us responding to what he's already doing. And holding him somewhat accountable. And and this is the only thing I'll say, and we can move on from Rogan. You can't cancel Rogan. I'm not here to say we should deplatform, cancel. The guy's got a huge following. He will find a way, right? And mm-hmm. Spotify sure as shit is not going to let go of their cash cow. Speaking of cows and their impact. <laughs> you someone's cow, Mr. Joe, and uh, and and you're doing well for them. So they're not i don't think it is he's toxic enough for them to let him go um and i also think it is worthwhile to still try and get someone like ilhan omar to go on his show why not try and see if you can call him out on his shit and get people of other stripes and other perspectives but i mm-hmm. tell you right now you're not going to you're <laughs> we are not going to achieve that we're not going to be able to pull him to the left so to speak but at the same time, he's he's still around. We can't we can't wish him away. It's about as I always say with like uh, sectarians and uh, crazies who used to infiltrate our political meetings back in the day. You got to out organize people. You got to try, mm-hmm. and that's why habituation room try. damage report. Give us money, okay? Um, okay. Um, come on, Spotify, give me. All right, let's move on. This is going to be the shortest summary of the Ukraine stuff ever. Because we have to bring in Daniel Wayne Lee. Although, I think he's chilling. But this was the week where I decided to try and understand what the fuck is going on in Ukraine. Um, Russia began amassing troops on the Ukrainian border last year. Continued on into this year. Over 100,000 troops currently are on the border. Ukrainian President Zelensky and President Biden are divided on whether they think an attack is imminent, whether Russia is going to invade Ukraine. Uh, Biden's like, it's happening. Zelensky's like, dude, I think you just clicked on the wrong Facebook ad. There's like a whole disagreement right now. (laughs) Biden is sending more Javelin missiles to the Ukraine. Um, Weapons contractors, soup's horny right now. Um, Biden is putting 8,500 troops in other nearby Eastern European countries, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. Um, The Biden administration is also sending MI-17 helicopters that formerly belonged to the Afghan military, which is real awkward. It's kind of like wearing a divorcee's wedding dress. It's something borrowed, but it's definitely cursed. Um, Congress is weighing what it calls the, quote, mother of all sanctions on Russia. I like to call it the mother Russia of all sanctions. Um, (laughs) If the country does invade Ukraine, because obviously, as we all know, sanctions work. Look at North Korea, Cuba, other countries that are totally doing the opposite of what we want. Um, NATO has said it's not going to send troops into the e- uh, into Ukraine. 
So NATO's already like, nah. And the EU is like, eh, nah. Um, partly, European military ca capabilities are quite limited, as evidenced by Germany sending 5,000 helmets to help Ukraine defend itself. Just, you know, hmm. we have these helmets. They weren't <laughs> going to be used anyway. I sound a little like Bjork. Bjork <laughs> wants to invade Ukraine. Um, but also, let's not forget that, in fact, a significant amount of Russian natural gas is sold and relied upon by a lot of European Union, uh, European nations. So that is not nothing in this mass calculation as to what the hell is going to happen. And I do know it's hard to find the experts to rely on right now. Um, but this uh, Anatole Lievin, who is of the Quincy Institute, and we had Trita Parcion of, of the Quincy Institute, and I really like their work. Um, they write a couple of things about like how this could all shake down. And I wanted to go over that. So, well, so first of all, uh, wait, this is from the Times. So Biden has responded to Russia's request that NATO basically back the hell off and like go away. Um, and in a written response, Biden uh, and the Biden administration and NATO um, were basically like, we're not going to go away, but we can enter negotiations with Washington and allies, including Ukraine, or you can invade and you will get economic sanctions. But they're willing to come to a negotiating table. So that is good. Um, this is what Lievin thinks. Uh, they say there are three possible elements to a compromise with Russia, two of, the, of which the West has, in effect, already conceded. The first is either a treaty of neutrality or a moratorium of 10 to 20 years on Ukrainian membership of NATO. Do that one. 20 years, <laughs> no one's going to remember shit. The West loses nothing by this since it's clear Ukraine cannot actually, in fact, join NATO without its conflicts with Russia resolved or with its conflicts with Russia unresolved. In any case, the U.S. and NATO have made it absolutely clear they cannot and will not defend Ukraine by force. There's another possibility that's too boring to read, but they conclude huh. failing at least initial moves towards such a compromise. It does indeed look like there will be some form of new Russia attack on Ukraine though by no means necessarily a large-scale invasion. In the event of war, however, for, uh, however, far the, however far the Russian, mil Russian army marches will be followed by a new Russian proposal for a deal in return for Russia withdraw Russian withdrawal. So they're basically like, I'm going to invade and then I want to get more for my withdrawal kind of thing. Yep. They write, the only difference between then and now will be that NATO will have been humiliated by its inability to fight. The West and Ukraine will be in a much weaker position to negotiate a favorable deal. And in the meantime, thousands of people will have died. Yeah. Putin still hasn't made up his mind as to whether he wants to invade, kill a few thousand people, then negotiate, or whether he could just, as the U.S. is offering, negotiate now. Um, it's not going to be to the liking, his liking, but... Anyway, John, this was a very long rundown. I Well, in comparison to the stakes, I agree with your initial intro. It is still abbreviated, but needs to be. <laughs> uh, it's something that, look, we've been talking about on TDR. You and I talked about it on the power uh, panel uh, on TYT this week. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just, it's, it, it's an incredibly frustrating situation. Um, it, I want to agree with what you said about not being sure of who you can rely on for information. That has been like just repeating in my mind over and over like in terms of historic write-ups yeah um evaluations of what for instance uh ukrainians actually 
want uh, statements from Putin, statements from Biden, statements from the political leadership of Ukraine. Um, I just, I don't, I don't like much of what I'm hearing and I don't trust virtually any of it either. The only thing that I trust is that a lot of money will be made and is being made, that this fundamentally is about some geopolitical calculations like, you know, hedging in NATO, those sorts of things, but also about, uh, you know, resource access and things like that. Right. Uh, a ton of our money, uh, American money, is going to flow out the door very, very quickly in a way that's going to make the constant back and forths about a little bit of climate funding here, a little bit of infrastructure there last year seem quaint by comparison. Mm. And uh, look, I just, I don't want war. I also think that democracy is good and that I hope the Ukrainians can hold on to it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, the whole situation is... It just reminds me of some of the worst of all of the brinks of war that we've been on uh, in the past two decades or so. Totally. I mean, I think that what I've been learning, though, is that, like, Biden nor NATO are going to enter into any kind of war, really. Mm-hmm. Like, 8,500 versus 100,000, that's not serious. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as, you know, the weapons manufacturers want to sell more Javelin missiles, and you're totally right. Um, one interesting thing that ties into the climate change stuff is, like, climate change i've never said it like that um (laughs) is this is the way that uh you know let's say the u.s really wants to like piss off russia and bolster like renewable energy around the world let's help germany or other countries that are reliant on russia build up their you know wind and solar capacities right like what if we took all that money and we're like hey ukraine you know it'd be annoying to russia but actually not lead to anyone's death hopefully if we just helped you build a giant solar farm you know like mm-hmm. multiple or wind power, wind power. Yeah. exactly yeah ukraine um <laughs> a little cold but yeah and and that would not only allow for renewable energy energy independence but also has the added bonus of kind of pissing off russia so yeah but we don't let's lead also do like that, that here too <laughs> yeah um we'll see first we have to yeah. do things abroad and then like First, we had to spread democracy to Afghanistan in order for us mm-hmm. to realize, oh, shit, we need that, too. I know. It's just the, <laughs> the whole situation is just so frustrating. And also, uh, one added layer is, um, you know, rightfully, you know, uh, political media is going to be very focused on it, you know, at least for a few weeks. And God knows, you know, considering what happens, possibly longer. They have to be. I mean, yeah. the lives of at least thousands of people are on the line, let alone the political stability of a nation, the political system of a nation. But there's also a lot of American media that would love to spend a couple of weeks on this and not spending it on, well, first of all, the almost nothing that would be done by the Biden administration during those weeks, but actually delving into, you know, more American-centric economic, um, you know, policy-based Or covering Uh, things like climate change, right? Or covering things that never get attention. Um, All right. Well, let's bring in our guest. He is a veteran of the Air Force and National Guard. He's an organizer and activist who was arrested as part of Occupy LA, remember that, and at a BLM protest, remember that, and he was a Culver City Council member just until months ago when he became Culver City's mayor, also the first black mayor in Culver City's history. And now he is running for Congress in District 37. Please welcome Daniel Wayne Lee. Hey, thanks for having me. Daniel, thank you for being here. Of course, of course. I mean, there's nothing else going on that I would want to be at. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> you dog. 
the future people know who won. So the future people <laughs> also know if we made it. Those are the people listening as a podcast. Um, obviously, we're talking about football. I'm so glad John is a nerd. So at least not my entire I'm like panel. One mile from the stadium, <laughs> by the way. It's going to be crazy around here. Daniel, so you were a member of Culver City's uh, City Council, and then you became mayor. And now you're running for Congress. Do you feel like you're just rushing into this a little quick? Uh, not really. Um, though. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. I'm, I just, just seemed like a funny thing to say. But anyway, we, we, I didn't mean it. What I really meant to ask is you're running for Karen Bass's seat, who is running for mayor of L.A. Um, tell me about District 37. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the 37th is a microcosm of not just Los Angeles, but California and the nation. Like on the west side, closer to me, there's Culver City, Cheviot Hills, multimillionaires. And then you go down to South L.A. and Southeast L.A. And there are people who really survive on like $20,000 a year, like in Los Angeles. And it's not just them. It's usually families who survive on $20,000 a year. And I think, you know, there are a number of issues that exist within that little microcosm. Of course, it includes Culver, Westchester, Mid-City, parts of Koreatown, USC, a little part of downtown as well. Um, but that's really the nation that we're looking at. And Los Angeles is such a cosmopolitan city that, you know, in terms of ethnic makeup, it mirrors the nation as well. But all of the issues that we have in the 37th are the issues that are really pertinent to people still struggling to, you know, come back from the economic fallout of the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. And you, I mean, you're for Medicare for all, you're for a Green New Deal. Um, you're now you're running for Congress. You could be part of the squad, newest member. Well, actually, that's that's a bit of a selling point. Like, uh, I, I talk about this a lot, but there's like the California that people imagine. And then there's the mm -hmm. actual California. And the California that people imagine is a place that I would love to visit and, you know, maybe <laughs> buy a house uh, on one salary. Uh, Lol. <laughs> but like uh, <laughs> when you think of progressives in our Congress on the federal level, don't get me wrong, love Karen Bass, but she is a centrist and she, mm. you know, she has her constituencies that she wants to focus on, which I agree with, you know, foster children, uh, families that are impoverished, but she's not going to bat for the Green New Deal. And she's pushing the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, you know, uh, versus the act that uh, the Movement for Black Lives uh, came up with themselves, which would actually work more towards prevention rather than just punishment. Um, I think it's yeah. about time for California to have a member of the squad or four. Yeah, we don't, right? <laughs> like Pelosi? Well, I mean, I think Barbara Lee is great, but she's been writing that opposition to the Iraq and Afghanistan war for a long time. That's true. That is true. No, got like Katie Porter is pretty good. I don't, I don't know if she's considered a part of the squad, but she's good on a, some of the same Ro issues. Ro of course, yes. Rokana. Rokana. Let's yeah. let's. Yeah, no, I'm I'm uh, it's a big state. Forget I said that. Yeah, we love Roe. We love uh, we love Katie Porter, obviously. Um, but I, I do want to talk to you about, you know the the things you did as part of, or that you're doing as mayor and as part of the city council of Culver City in terms of some pretty big stuff like rent control um which California can't get passed on a statewide level every time it comes up for a vote 
you know, crazy real estate interests funnel in and we vote these propositions down. And yet then we turn around and scratch our heads about the homelessness crisis and the housing crisis. Tell me about how that worked for you all and, and what, you know, how difficult it was. Well, I mean, when I first ran in 2016, I lost by 134 votes. People basically told me, if you want to win, don't talk about rent control. And I was like, well, I'm a renter, so I can't do that. Um, uh, but there is a coalition of homeowners and renters who got together. Like uh, Culver City, people would assume is 90% homeowner, but it's 45 to 50% renter. And most of the little cities in L.A. County are that way as well. But they've been you know, the politicians get a whole lot of money uh, through sideways deals uh, to not push rent control. And, you know, prior to being elected and for the last 10 years, I've worked with Move to Amend to push a constitutional amendment that says corporations are not people. Money is not free speech and get money out of politics and yes. until we do that. Ultimately, every pop- proposition that comes up on the state level in California will be like, you know, one of those propositions where paid for by people who love America, that's what you vote against. But people don't people don't read, people don't pay attention to that. And as long as they can pump as much money as they want into it, you know, it's gonna be difficult mm. to win. I mean, that's the reason that the uh, uh, Prop 22, the uh, Uber Lyft thing passed. I mean, it was yeah. overturned by the Supreme Court, but all of those changes are still in place. Yeah. Yeah, the move to amend is excellent. So it's basically rescinding uh, Citizens United and saying personhood does not apply. Well, Citizens United, um, Buckley versus Vallejo and Santa Clara County versus Southern Pacific Railroad. But we've actually been talking about something else that we're trying to bring into the mainstream a lot more recently. And that's the need to rewrite the Constitution. Mm. I'm, I, you should never just snap the need to re, re, like rewrite the Constitution, but... I'm feeling very Gen Z about it. Um, if you were elected, if you win, how would that, I mean, would you want to bring, because I feel like one of the most radical pieces is that move to amend, is the idea that we should amend the constitution, that corporations cannot, you know, do not have personhood rights, that they're not greater than people. Um, how would you bring that into your to your work in Congress? Well, our we have an amendment in Congress right now. It's the We the People Amendment, and Pramila Jayapal is our lead sponsor. Uh, but from an organizer's perspective, we actually see the amendment as more of a tactic and a broader strategy uh, to try to work towards more transformative uh, system of governance. Um, and we ultimately need a new constitution. I mean, other countries do it every, you know, 15 or 20 years. It's not uncommon. Ours was written by, you know, white male landowners and then really didn't include women, indigenous people. My people were three fifths, even poor white people weren't really considered well. So I, I, for, for me, Jumping into politics, I wanted to say a lot of provocative things so people in the center could get some things done. But surprisingly, mm-hmm. in Culver City, everything that we've pushed, closing down the Inglewood oil field, passing rent control, uh, getting hero pay for hospital workers, passing reparations. And the one thing I'm going to try to push this year, participatory budgeting, we've, we've gotten all those through. And it's been because of good colleagues, but it's been because of organizing and actually talking to your neighbors. Hell yeah. Can I ask a question? Yeah. So I'm kind of curious, especially because you were talking about, you know, the the tactic of pushing for constitutional reform and some of the the, the big policies that you're in favor of Green New Deal, Medicare for all, all those sorts of things. These are these are these are things that have not been worked on by the current 
Democratic, uh, you know, caucus, like they have control of the Senate, they have control of the House. Um, we elected a centrist president. He tried to do a couple of things and has largely failed. And the earlier talk about reforming the filibuster or expanding the court, like those things now seem sort of silly that I, as a progressive thought, might be possible under this president. But despite those failures and not really pushing for Medicare for all, Green New Deal, any of these sorts of things, I'm already hearing a lot of bubbling up that uh, when the Democrats lose control of the House or Senate, which they they think is a foregone conclusion, it'll be because the left pushed Biden too hard. They became and the whole caucus became too crazy, too leftist. <laughs> and so I'm worried that going forward, whether they keep control or not, there there's going to be this reactionary swing to, I don't know, even more right. So I, I'm wondering what you think like the the Democrats, the good Democrats can do to win that 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 battle of rhetoric to make sure that if they do get back into power, that it's not wasted by being afraid in the way that they've sort of governed so far under Biden. Well, I think uh, what the Democrats need to do generally is to be bold. I think a lot of the members of the squad, uh, besides AOC, they don't exactly come from like super lefty places. They come from mm. super working class places and they come from places where voters really connect with a politician that's actually talking about their day to day, their material conditions. Oh, I'm going to have more money. I'm going to have more of this. I'm going to have more of that. I think they just need to look at history because the Democratic Party, as much as it's the party that we all sort of got to be in uh, because we're not fascist, uh, you know, has this history of just like sucking up movements you know, giving them like a seat at the table and then telling them to shut the fuck up. Uh, and that has led to them moving further and further to the right, but also strategically moving moving into a place where it's less possible for them to have power. The Republicans have done a great job, not only of like, you know, the school board, dog catcher, whatever, but they've also gerrymandered so much that even if Democrats get more votes year after year, Republicans can remain in control unless they make those big steps, unless we say we need transformative change, unless we end the filibuster in all instances, it's a done deal. And I think for Democrats to actually retain some type of power, they have to, you know, take off the training wheels and get some shit done. Yeah. Yeah. And not run for reelection. Nancy Pelosi, my God. Um, yeah. I mean, I think also, you know, having people who come, I, I can't, I don't know if I was hearing your distinction between the left and working class well enough, but I do think it is meaningful that, People like Cori Bush, who were f- organizers, teachers, formerly homeless herself, you know, are serving currently, yeah. you know, like stayed up all night uh, to to fight the for the eviction moratorium to be extended, which we I, we know was a, you know, complete fix it last minute thing. But it you definitely help people. Right. Um, to say that it's all performative is BS. Like there are people sticking Jamal Bowman getting arrested with climate justice organizers or, you know, trying to abolish a filibuster or amend the filibuster just the other day. So with yourself, you know, there's more and more folks who are used to putting their bodies on the line, so to speak, who have been arrested, who have fought for against things at local levels. Um and I think that's really that's really meaningful. Well, well, and I think it I think it also connects with a lot of young voters. I think uh, like a lot of the folks in Sunrise right now are a bit older, but Generation Z 
and younger, like they were born into climate anxiety and they're like Mm -hmm. living, they're matured into puberty, like confused, like, wait, since I've been born, we've known this is a problem, but we're still not doing anything about it. Nobody's doing anything about it in a substantive way. So when you can connect to them, when you can say, hey, look, I know this is an emergency. I know this is a historic moment in human history. And I want to do something. I think that's how you get people to vote for you. I think that's how you get people to walk doors. I think that's how you get people to text bank and phone bank. Otherwise, it's just like, oh, there's that person who might be a little bit younger or a progressive, which is what I call a lot of people across the country. You know, they're younger, they're shinier, they say the right thing. But when the votes come up after they get elected, it's just center, you know, and it keeps us in this stasis that's like, okay, we've given up. We're like the dinosaurs. We're just going to peace out. We're going to ride this out and, you know, and enjoy our Sunday afternoon football. <laughs> Can you just tell me, I know you actually got sued. The city of Culver City got sued for trying to offer hospital workers heroes pay, be, you know, due to the pandemic, not just hospital workers, but grocery workers as well. You guys that lawsuit got thrown out, but tell me how that happened and what you dared to offer the working people of Culver. Well, a lot of cities passed zero pay for uh, grocery workers. And then when they thought about doing it for hospital workers, there was a huge threat of a lawsuit. LA City did the same thing. They got the threat of a lawsuit and they backed off. So I think we're the only city in California, maybe one of the only cities in the nation that's passed it for medical workers. But prior to uh, me bringing it to the council, I spoke with some workers from SEIU, UHW. I saw the conditions. I saw the fact that like the basement floods on a regular basis, like the hospital in Culver City, Southern California Hospital, it's owned by a hedge fund, which is owned by a hedge fund. And they've been buying up, ProPublica wrote an article about it. They've been buying up hospitals that basically serve low-income people that are primarily Medicare for a long time. But the conditions, even pre-COVID there, like there was mold everywhere. There were holes everywhere. You know, the the COVID barrier for the COVID ward and the non-COVID ward, there are huge scratches in it. They weren't telling people when they contracted COVID and they didn't have adequate PPE. And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, that's just a starting point. Then COVID gets worse. Uh, So we, we, we passed our ordinance. It was the reason that I joined a very hallowed club of California uh, elected officials and was the subject of a recall. Um, but the same week that the recall against me failed, uh, the lawsuit was thrown out. Uh, and the reason the some of the residents here wanted to start the recall was that they thought it was a waste of money. Um, that passing wow. here today was a waste of money. <laughs> This was this was we were having this discussion like spring of last year. The Delta variant hadn't taken off. They're like, the pandemic's over. And I was like, you know, my mom's a nurse and my brother's a doctor and my sister-in-law's a doctor. My good friend's an epidemiologist. I don't think this is over. Uh, That is insane to me. Um, Last thing. We're going to try and get someone from California Nurses United to come on next week because AB 1400 here in the state, which is single payer health care, is going up for a vote in the state assembly. That's a huge step. It still has like 25 more steps <laughs> to be possibly passed to say nothing of Gavin Newsom, who may not may or may not sign it, even though he previously said he was for it. Um, any any thoughts on single payer in California and, and any thoughts on like whether this is a good strategy like that? You look, the federal level is blocked 
let's go for it on this statewide level? Well, I've been working with a lot of single payer groups uh, for the last few years. Um, it's something that I hope will move forward. But when you talk about performative, I think our California Assembly and State Senate are really like, I don't know, Broadway. But like uh, the <laughs> I, tomorrow's um, yes. tomorrow's vote, I, I hope it passes. Uh, but a lot of the cards were aligned were for SB 562. Um, it the a single payer bill in California has passed the assembly and the Senate at least two times and then being vetoed by a governor. It always seems like the Democrats are eager to pass it when there's a Republican governor that they know will veto it. And then when there is a Democratic government and we have super majorities in the assembly and the state Senate, they're like, oh, I don't know, like, how are we going to fund this? This seems very difficult, even though other countries did it like 70 years ago. I, I I'm I'm very hopeful for AB 1400. And I will be happy, you know, after it passes this uh, step tomorrow, hopefully. But the cynical part of me thinks it's an election year. And they want to seem to be trying as hard as they can. And then, you know, be incredibly apologetic once it fails. Mm, mm. That is tough truths there. And yeah, Newsom for sure does not need this to win a re-election. Um, sadly, I wish progressives in the state had more power. Well, my my, um, my whole thought on Newsom, and, and I'll just say this and shut up, is it <laughs> seemed like both him and Eric Garcetti wanted to run for president. Um, mm. And every time I'm within the earshot of Gavin Newsom, I'm like, hey, if you want to be president, pass single payer health care. Because, I mean, it, that, that's something <laughs> to run on. You're saying that to him? Yes, yeah, screaming it at him. But, I mean, it's something to run on. It would be an actual no accomplishment. Like, I don't know what Eric Garcetti did as mayor except increase homelessness. And I don't really know what Gavin Newsom did um, as governor. Yeah, except maintain his seat. There there have been some good things. I mean, extension uh, to benefits for uh, undocumented. undocumented folks, I think, is really huge. Um, but that is... I feel like that is a lower bar considering where the electorate is in this state. We are so much farther to the left than our elected officials. And you're totally right about the performative nature of the assembly, which is, you know, soaked in oil and gas money, real estate money. It's just it is a crying shame. So um, but I'm committed to this state, Uh, although we may lose you come come next year come later this year but best of luck daniel wayne lee thank you so much for letting us how can we like get involved in your campaign support it you can just go to my website it's danielwaynelee.com or you can find me on instagram and facebook at the daniel wayne lee or on twitter at daniel wayne lee zero amazing um will you stick around for our final fun segment daniel wayne lee of course or- of course i'll stay Daniel's like, damn it, that game is about to kill me. All right, we've got one more segment, and then I'm going to read comments, and then we're going to be out. But thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, I remembered what I was going to say, Daniel, which was, if you haven't been recalled in California, you ain't shit. Like, <laughs> like, like if you're a, like, you know, you've got Chesa Boudin in San Francisco, the rights making up all kinds of like fake hate crimes that happen that he didn't pursue. Um, there have been real ones, obviously, you know, here, Nithya Raman in the city council in L.A. tried to get recalled like it, you're you ain't shit if you weren't tried to re- get recalled. Right. Like it means you're doing something right. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's move to this because I didn't tease this. But 
we're going to do a special edition of our final fun segment. Uh, it's not going to be sexed elect overthrow, which is its own version of fuck, Mary kill. Um, this is going to be, um, adopt, elect, or euthanize the presidential pets edition. So in honor of Willow Biden, the first cat in the White House in years. And my personal favorite Biden. I mean, come on. Look at her. <laughs> Look at her. She's so cute. Still like champ. She's I don't know. so cute. She's just the prettiest. <laughs> so this is, oh, I'm such a lib, dude. Willow turned me into a centrist, just milky brain lib. Uh, fucking, mm. I love her. I love her so much. You like? I just forgot about Medicare now. for all. Just looking at her. Um, no, I'm kidding. She's a total anarchist. Um, so she's the newest addition. Obviously, uh, she. If you didn't know her backstory, Jill Biden was speaking in Pennsylvania, and a little kitty cat, Willow, uh, traipsed across the stage, kind of like the bird in Bernie's uh, speech that one time, except. If Bernie had like captured that bird and kept it and was like, now you're my bird, my pretty bird forever. (laughs) (laughs) That's what's basically going on here. So it was a she was a farm cat or like a stray cat. And I guess her owner person or keeper, I don't know, someone who knew her in the neighborhood was like, yeah, take that cat. It's probably (laughs) someone's cat. But (laughs) the point is, is there's Willow Biden. And we got to thinking, meaning the Bituation Room crew started remembering there have been a lot of bizarre animals in the white house um so i didn't know i don't know if you guys knew that uh president coolidge had a raccoon that's right um his supporters in mississippi sent him the live raccoon in november of 1926 so that the first family could get this kill and eat it for thanksgiving (laughs) That's the most country shit I've ever heard. Like (laughs) this, this raccoon, but instead they kept it and they named it Rebecca and Rebecca tried to like, it like had multiple escape attempts. Very cute. It was on a leash. Um, I don't know. I'm sure it was, it finally got let go back into the wild because they were like, we probably shouldn't do this. Then there is Jackson, Andrew Jackson's parrot. Yes. Andrew Jackson of, you know, a uh, trail of tears in fame, um, had a parrot named Paul, pole, pole, the parrot as in pole, like the poles, like up in the poles, down in the poles, uh, Andrew Jackson. And apparently at Andrew Jackson's funeral, uh, it was in his funeral was interrupted because pole, the parrot was squawking so loud. And not only that was cursing, openly cursing mm-hmm. at his funeral, uh, I don't know what he was saying. I have I was doing some deep dives in this. We don't know if it was like, you know, the B word, the F word, the C word, whatever words, you know, the M effing C D. I don't know. C S. I really hope it was good. But um, I want to ask you guys, who would you adopt? Who would you elect? And who would you euthanize? We have Rebecca the raccoon. We have Andrew Jackson's parrot poll. Or willow biden um this is a very important segment i don't i don't know i'm so glad you guys stuck around for it because it is uh, (laughs) i mean the people want to know right (laughs) the people have to know um john you go first 
Oh, uh, first of all, uh, kudos to you for making this entire segment to justify showing pictures of the cat for you to coo over. <laughs> I know that that's the entire reason you did this. Uh, for me, it was relatively easy. First of all, I would euthanize the bird. <laughs> I'm a mammal man. I'll tolerate lizards. Pretty much fine with every bird and fish going away. Don't care about them. Um, and then it, then it's down to the cat and the, the raccoon, obviously. Now, cats are independent. Mm. I like mm. that. But they also like comfort. And we've had way too many politicians who get into office and then just like being in a nice warm house, you know? So I'd just adopt him. Biscuits. Keep him for myself. Yeah. Send the raccoon to the White House because other than maybe a possum who couldn't get elected outside of maybe Europe, I think raccoons are natural outsiders. And I think we need someone like that in the White House. <laughs> Damn. He thought about this. I'm an outsider, completely <laughs> independent. I've got very large hands, very big. Um, Daniel, uh, okay. What do you think? So we we have a little overlap here, um, though. On on the adopts, uh, I would definitely adopt the parrot because uh, you know science has shown that people who curse are more honest, um, and you know. Oh. Who curse a lot. So I want I want an honest pet. Um see guys, I am honest as shit. <laughs> all right. That's why you come to this show. Daniel's proved it. Uh I would definitely elect the raccoon. Uh, cause just because raccoons are scrappy, like they know how to get out of shit. I think that they would really be a good diplomat. Like, you know, they would probably mm-hmm. would av- mm-hmm. avoid wars for oil and profit, you know, and if they got into like a sticky situation, they'd be able to be like, hey, why don't we drink some whiskey and talk about it? Russia. Um, <laughs> and of course that means, and I think this is probably an unpopular opinion. I would euthanize the cat. Uh, I grew up <gasps> with dogs and cats, uh, but you, you can't trust cats. <laughs> cats are constantly <laughs> trying to kill you. Like everybody knows this. They just, they just get hypnotized by the cuteness. So they got to go. Okay. That's fair wow. that they're, but they're also brilliant statesmen. And so <laughs> I would say, um, well, obviously Willow's coming home with me. Willow's getting adopted. Chitty and Willow are going to be BFFs. Meow, 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 that's my cat. Um, don't get me started. So Willow's coming home with me. She doesn't want anything to do with Jill, Dr. Jill Biden. I'm a doctor, whatever. Um, <laughs> um, the raccoon's seen too much. Rebecca, you've seen it all. It's not okay. <laughs> You were never meant to live this long. They were going to eat your ass on Thanksgiving. So I say Disgusting. we eat her ass on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And we put her down. General rule. And <laughs> always eat ass on Thanksgiving. <laughs> and um, and, <laughs> and then for sure, a, a, like a parrot who's going to cuss at someone's funeral, that parrot has no respect <laughs> for his master. Hated Jackson's <laughs> guts. Like that dude, I ride with him. I I think they'd be he'd be a great leader and uh you know get things done just some Bernie Sanders energy um you know I mean it, he could either go both ways he's like a raging fascist or a democratic <laughs> socialist I'm willing to roll the dice Well I mean L- LPJ definitely cursed a lot so I mean you know Exactly. Mm. Um, All right, you guys, let me know what you would do in the comentarios. Until then, thank you so much, Daniel Wayne Lee. Everybody follow him on Twitter. Uh, Daniel, take very good care. Be good. Be good to yourself. Best of luck on the campaign. And John Idarola, 
you ain't going anywhere, baby, because in five <laughs> minutes, I'm going to subject you to more TBR. We're going to talk about, um, well, again, a state trooper who, well, I don't know. He died on the hill that he chose to die on. So many are choosing to die on this hill. And uh, also, like, what's up with Evangeline Lilly? Because I think John Adarola's crush just bit the dust. Uh, and John, where can people find you and follow you? Uh, you can watch The Amateur every morning at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Uh, Eastern. And I also host uh, The Young Turks on Fridays and John Arola on social media, if you can spell the last name correctly. Good luck. There's so many vowels. We have all the vowels. Between John's name and my name, we got mm-hmm. all the vowels. There's no Y. That, that yeah. bitch ain't a vowel. Oh, I said it. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> Sometimes. Sure. Yeah, that sounds reliable. Why? <laughs> all right, John. See you in the bonus show. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you guys for all of your comments, for your super chats, uh, for every little thing. Um, thanks to Ray Lee. Uh, thanks to Adam and Melanie44 writing money talks and bullshit walks, unfortunately. That's probably referring to my deplatforming discussion. Uh, Ishmael Houston Jones, thanks for the super chat, says, yay, two days of Fran and John in a row. I mean, not yet. I haven't decided if I'll get up in the morning. Um, Ashmanail on Twitch uh, says his thoughts are so deep they're buried under a pile of shit a mile deep that's on Joe Rogan and uh, Dented Head Ed welcome to the chat Joe needs to listen to his own episode with Candace Owens where he was going at her for not believing in climate change you know it's funny how there's certain people that he will feel safe to go after and safe not to I mean I felt like I loved when she got dunked on by by Trump himself but I'm like I feel like you're going after her also because she's a woman. And I know zero solidarity, but something to think about. Um, RJ Jabura, uh, 1980 called. They want their news back on Ukraine. Yeah, we're reliving it. Every few years, we relive it. Uh, Dirty Garden Dragon says, corporations are not people. Definitely, I support amendments. Can we please just change our constitution? Chile's doing it. Be like Chile. And thank you guys uh, for every little thing. And of course, please make way, make room for the fart song. Yeah, 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 get it, get it, get it. Thank you to all the patrons at $10 or more. You get this shout out. Jeff O coming through in the clutch on a Sunday. Thank you to JRT8675309. I, I see what you did. Thank you for upping your pledge to 20 bucks. You know you get uh, a bunch of benefits, including merch. I really appreciate that. Uh, thank you to the big tippers, Joseph L., to the Twitch subs, Brandy Lutu, Matt Gates on a White Bronco, Metal Kitty Mom, Frank Morning Tree, Lizzie Nepon, Squirrely Coney, Late Bloomer 66, J Tide. Brandy Lou, you gave out five community subs. A thank you. Harry Balsich gave out five community subs. A thank you. And of course, thanks to all the super chats. And to Maximilian Inhoff, to Alexandra Orness, and to our newest member of the Frantifa crew, production crew, uh, Paige Omek, crushing it there. Thank you so much, you guys. We stream every Sunday, 5, 8 Eastern on YouTube and Twitch. Follow the show on Twitter at Pod on TikTok and Instagram at my TikTok and Instagram, Franny Fio. Um, and also on Twitch, Twitch, uh, oh, on Twitch, 
Twitchuation Room is the show that I host on TYT. If you want to just hang with me for two hours in the middle of the week because you miss me. We talked Latin American politics this last week for two hours. Did you all want to? I didn't care. We did it. That's the Twitchuation Room every Wednesday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. And remember, y'all, fight the power, fuck the patriarchy, and don't just bitch about it. Get your tickets to March 10th and be about it. Bye.